Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm so excited that you're joining me today for an interview with my friend, Greg Brenner, the HR dad. And Greg's why is to serve and inspire others so that people can grow. Greg leads with a servant leader's heart and treats every interaction with people as one where we can get better together. Greg is a charismatic facilitator, speaker, and executive coach. Currently, Greg is AVP of Talent and Organizational Development at the University of Miami, where he oversees talent for the academic and healthcare system at the U. Uh, and I just have to throw in there that, of course, oh, I am no, an no, the University of Florida. Go, so oh, go, go Gators. Go Gators. But, uh, you know, much respect for, uh, for, for you, Greg, and everything you're doing down there at the U. And I also want to add, Greg has also spent nearly 30 years officiating football and worked games such as the 2010 National Championship and America's Game, Army vs. Navy, along with many other bowl games. He's a big picture thinker who has succeeded and failed in business operations and is a progressive human resources thinker and people leader. Greg, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Well, thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. First thing I got to do is shorten that damn bio. So that's... Uh, that's, that's <laughs> I already awesome. shortened it for you, by the way. It was a lot longer when you sent it over. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to shorten this up and see. But you know, even though the uh, the football stuff is obviously... Uh, well, I will, I'll be bold and say it's not necessarily relevant to the topic at hand. Um, uh, perhaps it could it be. I'm it sure you'll say. And that's actually going to lead to my first question because you know, we connected on LinkedIn. Uh, where we're both very active, I would say, you know, every day I'm posting and commenting on stuff. I know you are as well. I've loved your videos and posts and you get so much engagement on your posts. By the way, can I just say, I talk on my other podcast a lot about, you know, avoiding comparisonitis. I look at your posts sometimes and I get jealous because you get so much engagement. And one of the reasons I think is because you're so authentic with everything you do. And I want to talk about um, the importance of authenticity and vulnerability, especially in the workplace. Uh, but in following you for probably a year or so, whatever it's been, I had no idea that you were also a college football referee. So yeah. can we start there? Like how did, how did that happen? So I, I started that years ago and um, I, I retired. This is my third year off the field and uh, the season. And I started, I always wanted to do that. So 
Uh, I started when I was 18 and then uh, I officiated college football for over 25 years, 30 years total career officiating. And uh, it really has been it was a mark of my life that uh, that I loved and wanted to be. I love the sport, number one, uh, but it it very much paralleled my my HR and people desires because I was able to do. I learned a lot from the field and and seeing other people operate at a high level. I seen teams operate at a high level, and I was able to apply some of those things I saw on Saturdays into my my day job as well. So that's awesome. I want to ask you about that, but first, real quick, you said you officiated the 2010 College Football National Championship, which I did. An amazing achievement. I mean, it's one thing to be a college football referee, but to get to the probably to get to the Big Five and then you know conferences and then to get to uh, the national championship was that the Alabama Texas uh, Rose Bowl game? I was at that game, dude. I was at that game. Yeah, it's crazy because I'm a I'm not a fan of either of those teams. I'm a Florida Gators fan, but I lived in LA at the time and I used to work at Farmers Insurance. And Farmers Farmers that's right was before that ad campaign. Nobody knew who they were. Uh, all their marketing was entirely driven by agents on the ground. They didn't have a national campaign until after I left. Um, but Farmers was a sponsor of that of that game. And so they got some tickets. And for whatever reason, this guy I knew there who was like a field manager or something got two tickets. Okay. And just randomly. And, you know, these tickets are worth over $1,000, right? These are national yeah. championship game tickets. And he stops by my desk one day and he's like, hey, man, I got two tickets to the national championship game. You want to go with me? And I was like, and I didn't know him that well. I was like, really? Yeah, of course. I'm like, why me? He's like, well, I know you're an SEC guy. Probably enjoy a good football game. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, of course. So we go to the game and he's like a Alabama fan. Didn't actually go there, but he's an Alabama fan. And uh, about around halftime, he gets up and he's like, well, I got to go home. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean you're going home? This is the national tournament. He's like, well, yeah, I got to go home, put my kids to bed. And I'm like, listen, at that time, I didn't have children. Right. Now today, I am a very dedicated father, as I know you are as well. Yep. But leaving the national championship game at halftime, it, it, it broke a man law number one. First <laughs> off, I mean, you don't, you don't leave uh, your wingman uh, exactly. number number one too. That's just uh, you know, he just did my the rest of the game watching. My priorities uh, were way yeah. off. Right? Yeah. Were way off. But, but you were down on the field, which is incredible. Um, I want to know what that's like, and what were some of the key lessons that you took from that that time uh, into what you do today. Well, it, it's nothing that you've ever experienced before. You know, I worked many bowl games in my career. I uh, worked the Army-Navy game. And then when you walk out for a national championship game, especially in a place like the Rose Bowl, I mean, it, it's, an, it's an old stadium, and it's, but it just has this aura about it. There's nothing like that place. I mean, the old Orange Bowl maybe was a place like that as well. But you walked in there, and the officials always would walk out an hour before the game and we'll start managing the game at that point. We'd have a lot of other things we do before that, but an hour before we walk out in the game in a normal game, it, you know, there's media there, there's things happening. There's players warming up here. You walked out and the sidelines were just a buzz. You know, there's, there was networks after network after network. There's one star after another star. There's, there's head coaches from the NFL there. There's, there's every uh, ESPN person that you see on TV every weekend. They're doing some some interview, players and everything. And it's just it, you walk out and there's a buzz, and it's it's one of those things you have like this oh shit moment. You know, excuse me. Um, I know I'm in HR. Sorry, I, I've used that word before. So you walk out and you're like, <laughs> oh shit, this is this is for real. Yeah. You know. And then you walk out and then you go where where it's funny. It takes me into my work is you go where your training takes you. You know, so for years, 
you plan for that moment in years. Yeah. You, you have a lot of practice and you prepare and you do visualization and you, and, and so that moment I was ready for, but I was never ready for it. Yeah. You know, so you walk out there and you, you know, I, yeah, over if you officiate long enough or anything else, you don't always get those butterflies every time you get, you know, you have maybe adrenaline pump. And I mean, I got butterflies walking on that field, you know, and then once that first kickoff happens, it was a blur, you know, yeah. and, and it's a blur for the players. It's a blur for, for the officials and, uh, and your instincts take over and it gets you through that first. Okay. This is uh this thing is, is a really big deal. And then you just get into the pattern of the game and you start officiating it. The sooner you can do that quicker and not get caught up in the moment. Cause if you think about, all right, there's millions of people watching this on TV. There's 90,000 people in this, this thing. And I don't want to screw this up. You know, that's all you're thinking about as an official is I don't want to screw this up. And we do that in leadership. You know, we have all this, this, this power to really do something really well, but as an official, we're successful if we're never even seen, mm. you know? Right. So, and I look at that, the same thing from a great leader, a great leader doesn't have to be uh, that sage on the stage. It doesn't have to right. be that, that crazy person to be very uh, successful. And, and so we had a really good game. The crew did, uh, yeah. we had some big, big calls. Uh, it ended up being a tight game after the starting quarterback at uh, Texas got hurt. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, speaking of being unprepared, Texas had a star quarterback, Colt McCoy, that went down in that game, and they brought in a true freshman, I remember, um, who actually played pretty well. Yeah, he did well, and he brought the team back, and it actually was a, at one point in the third quarter, it was a, ended up being a one-score game. Right. But then Alabama was just really, really strong. Alabama did what Alabama did. And oh, man, big time. So, yeah. But you learn how to – you develop yourself and it, it's that training that you go through of years of not only practicing, but in working that craft on the field, doing it, but also watching video, watching other games, critiquing yourself. How did I do asking other people on the crew? How was our communication today? But just not how was our communication? How did I do this better uh, than I was the next day? So that all prepares you for big moments. Big moments don't happen by themselves. It takes years and years and years of practice. Um, and we were fortunate. We got out. We didn't have any game impact calls, which can happen in those instances. Uh, there's a lot of pressure. People, you know, make decisions. And uh, so you learn how to make decisions really well as well. So it prepared me for a lot of my work in my, in my, what I always call my, my regular job, my day job uh, on how to make decisions, how to make decisions under duress, um, nobody likes officials to begin with half, half the place does half the place doesn't. Right. Uh, so it's one of those things that it, it taught me a lot, um, through, through that game of sport. Yeah. And it's where, you know, everything you're talking about, I kept thinking about the importance of preparation and really, you know, putting processes in place and preparing for what might come. Mm -hmm. And I think this is so important in business, in sales, in obviously being a referee or a player. Yep. Uh, so you don't get wrapped up in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, when you think about leadership and leadership development, uh, and I'm obviously, I have bias, I'm in this, in this realm, but mm -hmm. how much do you think about, or do you think people think about preparation for those leadership moments? You don't. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast. It's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. 
That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. You know, and I think that's one of our gaps from an industry perspective of how to help leaders or future leaders prepare for those moments, you know, and take that leadership role seriously. If you take your role seriously as you do, what happens in a lot of places and it, and, and it it's nothing groundbreaking is that the best person that shows up every day works, works hard, works their butt off, and they're really great at doing X, they're going to be a great people leader, right? So we promote somebody who has no idea or concept at times of what it means to lead. And then we say, good luck, pat them on the backside and, and you're going to do great. And what happens is, is you just, they fail because as organizations, we don't prepare you to be ready to be a leader and what it actually means from everything from emotional intelligence, which is all the rage now uh, to how do you manage, you know? So it it's, uh, becomes really, really um really important to that preparation. And if you take it seriously and you have that expertise, whatever that is, whatever you do, then you, you've got something special there, but you got to work at it. You got to work at it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, all the things you mentioned are important there. And it reminded me, I recently interviewed Josh Burson, who is a huge, huge name in the HR world, of course, mm -hmm. uh, and published that interview a little bit before we were recording this. And in that interview, he talked about how leadership has changed and uh, there's a little bit of a debate in the, my LinkedIn post about whether leadership has changed or whether the fundamentals are the same, and it's just what people are noticing. And I'm curious, your thought on that, you know, do you think leadership or what is necessary for leadership has really changed over the years, or is it just what we're noticing? I think it's a little bit of both, right? Mm -hmm. So the first piece is leadership is blocking and tackling, right? It's how you take a group of people and and get them on the same page and do what you do. However, what has changed is what's around leadership, right? So the speed of change, although in some industries has always been rapid, if you're in technology, it's always been a rapid speed of change, but everything around the leader and doing more with less and things of that nature is, is I think those are real things for leaders. But the mechanics of you, Andy and I working together, and if I'm not spending time with you, investing in you, talking with you, understanding what are the issues that you're having, removing barriers that I need to remove as opposed to ones that I dump on you to remove, uh, do all the right things from a leadership perspective. Those things are all the same. Nothing has changed from that human contact. Now, the 24-hour news cycle, the 24-hour internet, the, the pressure to perform at a higher level quicker, sooner, faster is changing but you have the same inventory of people that are getting that work done. You're just doing different things. So leadership is always going to be riddled in core leadership pieces. You're going to have the different personalities that, that you have to talk to, whether you're a big picture thinker or you, you need to have all the details or, or you lead with heart 
or you lead with logic. Whatever it is that you're doing, you still have to find a way to to manage those those personalities in the group to to move forward. So that doesn't yeah. change. Absolutely. How do you approach leadership development and organizational development at the University of Miami? I'm sure it's and you and you are internal facing. This is not like the external right. executive development program or something like that, right? So I'm curious right. how exactly. you approach that and what that looks like for the type of organization that you have. So it's interesting. It, it's developed over time, and you would think in in higher education that people would naturally embrace to development and training. And that's not always the case. So we've been able over time, and this takes, you know, senior leaders that have committed to it and things of nature to really start to put the basics in place. Uh, we have a, a large academic medical center as well, in addition to the academic side, and they're very different. However, to your point earlier, they're equally the same. They just have different problems. You know, in, in healthcare, we have to figure out ways and we're trying to do this through what is meaningful development for them? If you're a, a physician leader that sees patients all day, that may be in the operating room, but ha- leads a team of 30 people, you know, and how do you do that well and doing research and teaching the next generation of doctors? Uh, how do you do that really well? Or how do you help a, a staff member that might have 300 people reporting up to them on the academic side that are running a facilities piece? How do you do that? So what we've done is try to, to get some basics things in place. Let's start to develop that that cream of the crop at the top because that that will pay dividends through the rest of the troops. So it's nothing groundbreaking there. And then what are the things that we can do for the frontline leader that can help them manage the day-to-day in the best way they can do with what they have? So it goes into not only managing, but how do you lead people? So having solid uh, foundational courses for those things or programs for those people becomes really important. And then we'll get to the staff piece, which we've done a lot of online stuff. We've just really tried to invest heavily in the leaders to make sure that engine's going. And, and what do those programs look like? Is it uh, more in person? Is it uh, more online? Is it experiential? Is it lecture-based? You know, how do you set those up? It's a little bit of everything. I think one of the things, if, if we do change one thing from a talent perspective, we try to have as many different inputs to make sure that everybody feels like they're getting something in the way they like to get it. So one of our bigger programs, which is just, the, it's for it's a basic program. It's a five-month program, uh, which you don't see a lot anymore, but it's uh, called the Essentials of Leadership. And the EOL is, is about coming in person, doing assessment, working and having rich discussions with your cohorts. We just graduated a class last week, which we had a hundred people go through. And the power of that program is when they come together because they have a cohort, they have other people that have like issues. They find a way to solve problems or help them solve problems because they're feeling it. They know exactly what it is. So when you miss that piece when you're online, uh, we found, at least internally for us, people love the network. People love to come together. People love to learn together. And so we've done a balance. We've done some online things, which works for some people. But we found the most power we get is when we bring people together. So it's balancing. How do you do that when it's timely? You don't you don't want to waste people's time and they get something out of it. Yeah, you know, I find as I, you know, I in my main business, right, I connect companies with learning programs. I facilitate learning programs. And I think there's value in all the different modalities, right, different ways to do things, whether it's live in class, person, online, digital, micro learning, all this stuff, right? There's not to discount any of those ways, but... I see so much power in bringing people together in person because yeah. then you it's not just the learning of the program, mm-hmm. it's learning from each other, right? You watch people connecting, networking, talking, and learning. 
you know, it, uh, if you're going to quote that Grant Cadone guy down to here, you know, it's, it's 10 Xing your learning yep. because you can have, and I think this is where even on the academic side, although we're not necessarily involved with the faculty side, it's not that, that sage on the stage anymore. Now you have a group. I, I did a talk in, uh, Amelia Island, uh, this past week on Tuesday huh. and, um, you know, there was 130 people in the room. And so we did some exercises around that and the power of that group discussing amongst themselves, dealing with similar issues is I couldn't have said anything from the front of that room that would have helped them more than that discussion with people that are doing the same work across the country. So I'm sure your talk was pretty good too, though. It was damn good. It was damn good. <laughs> it, was, it was okay. Damn, I don't know. Our guy keeps cursing on my podcast. Like no, it. that was that was damn, yeah, damn good. I figure you're a gator. You you roll with that. I I, I thought once you said gator, you know, I think of you know a bunch of different things come to mind. So yeah, right, right. Gators right. at games. So I that's figured right. you could that. there you go. Um, no, I, I love that, and you know that's why. Uh, I talk a lot about my con- on my podcast about the conference I'm putting together, and by the time this airs, the conference will probably be passed. But you know, the talent development think tank. One of the big ideas behind that, and why I'm planning on organizing more conferences in the future, and why I'm still very bullish on in-person experiential learning programs and everything, is because even though in 2020 and beyond, we're in this incredibly digital world where anybody can connect. Right? You and I met on LinkedIn. Yeah. We've chatted on LinkedIn. We followed each other. Like I know a lot about your life without us ever actually meeting in person. And yet, I think people crave that in-person connection more than ever. And I think there's so much power in bringing people together for them to connect and learn from each other that it's still so beneficial. I think it becomes more beneficial as time goes on. Yeah. I, well, first off, you know, congratulations on doing your conferences. I couldn't get to this, this one that's coming up because of the conflict, but you're doing outstanding work with that in bringing people together that, that are trying to move this industry uh, forward in this, this craft that we, we have. So what you've put together and the people you have coming in for that is just exceptional. So I will definitely be a participant in one of those or, or any way I can help with those coming up, but continue doing that work. It's meaningful work and it make, makes a big difference for people. So yeah, good job you. on that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I want to go back to something in leadership that I think ties into this, mm-hmm. this idea of really getting to know people. Yeah. And I know you are, you're known on HR, as the, on HR, on LinkedIn as the HR dad, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know you're very big on family. I know you have kids. I know you're passionate about being a father. I am as well, right? So mm-hmm. I relate a lot to that. How much do you think it has changed where leaders can or should be sharing more or expecting to really know people to know more about what's going on with their personal and family lives mm-hmm. compared to maybe the way things have been in the past? Yeah, I think that's changing. You know, one of the reasons why I lead from this authentic place and it's overused and, you know, whether it's authenticity or, or gratitude, whatever the greatest uh, thing on LinkedIn right yeah, now yeah. or any social media, which is all good vulnerability. Those three things are out there all the time. Yeah. However, when people come to work, half the person doesn't come to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. They show up and yes, they might have stuff going on at home. There's not anybody in this workforce that doesn't have crap going on at at home, okay? Whether it's you got to pick up the kids or whether you have an ill parent that you're taking care of or you have grandparents you're taking care of or a spouse is is under the weather or sick or you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with. And then people will tell you to, hey, when you get here, check that crap at the door. It doesn't line up to who people are. Now, people can use – I have a – a friend of mine who uh, 
who's in HR as well. She's a CHRO out in, out in California and Susan uh, Schmidt. And she's writing a book on healing in workplace. Her and uh, Martha Finney are writing this book on how people heal in the workplace because people will come from bad situations and the workplace will actually help them move on because it's normal. There's things that, you know, you show up and you can kind of separate whatever bad is happening at home. But as a leader, if you don't tap into people who they are, and it's not treating everybody the same, not everybody needs, hey, tell me about your family. There's people that will run from that. So you have to know the different personalities that are in your group and and you need to manage those people appropriately on how they want to be managed. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest keys. But treat people like they're human. And if they see you that you're human, I tell you what, they will forgive a thousand sins because they know that you're not a perfect being and you're not this egotistical, you know, pain in the butt that's walking around, just pointing the fingers at them, what they're doing right or wrong, or, you know, just being the normal old manager type of person. And you treat them like a human being, they will run through walls for you. And if, if you don't think that's true, try it one day. And then you see the difference in people. It's powerful, but you, people are people. I mean, that's yeah. never going to change. Right. So. What's the right way to create that type of culture. I mean, I know it, re- it relies a lot on uh, something called psychological safety, right? Where people right. feel like they can bring their whole selves to work and be themselves without the risk of being fired. Right. And of course, that starts at the top a lot of mm-hmm. times the culture. But, you know, what's your opinion on how do you create a culture of safety so that people can really be fully authentic and as a leader, share more and, and learn more about your employees? So it, it, I think it's twofold. I think if at the organizational level, you need to set that bar here, at the U, we, we have this thing called the, the culture of belonging. Now, you can either roll your eyes at that, but the truth behind it is that people want to add value and be valued at the end of the day. So if you're not valuing your people and if you're looking at your people, I have this sign in my, my office and, and it says, it's about people and it says commodity or gift. If you think of your people as a commodity or a line item, that's the way you're going to treat them. If you think of them as a gift. so. If you're a leader, your whole mindset shifts when you think of gifts. You know, there's a lot of, yeah. you know, holiday stuff when we're recording this going on right now. And they talk about the power of gift and giving others and things of that nature. Your whole demeanor changes when you can help somebody or they're a gift for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you look at that, you look at them differently and you yeah. figure out what is it that makes them tick. You know, it's nothing brain surgeon there. <laughs> you know, so right. you're not doing brain surgery there. Yeah. You're finding out what are their desires. Mm-hmm. And how do you help them get there? And you'd be amazed on on how to do that. So the way you look at them and you create that environment by trusting them, allowing them to, to be leaders themselves and let them do the job they were hired to do because there's not enough time to do everybody's job. There's not enough time yeah. to micromanage everybody. Right. And everybody hates working for micromanagers, right? They want the freedom and power to be able to do their job and, and to really have that, uh, you know, authority, whatever yeah. to get it done. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, I'd take an ice pick to my eye if I have to work for, uh, you know, a micromanager like that. Uh, I feel the same way. I think it's so important to be able to empower people and give them space. And that's not to say that you shouldn't have accountability, right? And that people right. should be accountable for things they need to they need to achieve. But there needs to be some kind of balance there. 
And you're talking about really getting to know people and, and understanding what makes them tick and what's going on with them. And it's perfectly fine to ask, you know, the personal questions, understand what's going on with their life as long as they're willing to share. And you want to create that that safety for people to be themselves. And there's a line, right? Yeah. Um, you know, something that we we started in our staff meetings. And this, this is a little thing. I start my staff meetings with gratitude. And I know it's an overused thing. So we go around the table. Hang on, I want to stop you for a second. People talk a lot about gratitude. I don't think gratitude is overused. I think it is still underappreciated because I think you and I are in a world of personal development and where we realize the benefits of it. But 90% of the people are not practicing gratitude on a regular basis. They're Absolutely. not grateful for what they have. And it, it can be a huge shift for them. So talk more about mm -hmm. gratitude. It's not overused. Yeah. So you got to throw some gratitude to gratitude. Uh, yep. <laughs> I'm, I, I fully agree. So we start our staff meeting and we'll meet you know, monthly as, as a full staff. And we, we go around the table, we invest that the first 10 to 15 minutes of our meeting going around and everybody gets to say something they're, they're thankful for. And I don't give any other rules. And 99% of the time, it's about a coworker that's helped them do something or about a program that went well because of X or thank you so much for, for your assistance. You weren't even, it wasn't my, and it just creates this whatever problem there is in the day or something that broke that day or the week, it goes away because it's hard to be pissed off at the world while you, somebody's saying, Hey Andy, you know, thank you so much for having me on this show. This mm -hmm. was the best part of my day today. And it was so cool to talk with you. You know, you're going to sit there. Oh, you're going to, you. oh, that's pretty nice, you know? And, yeah. and it just like creates this, this bond with people that are again, are going to go run through that wall. Yeah. Now there's time and place for it. And if, if, if the crap is hitting the fan and there you say, thank you, whatever, you may have to move a little quicker. Uh, or if you're in an emergency type of situation, you're not going to be as, as warm and friendly. However, get back to that right away. And I get, I guarantee you try that trick next time you're with a group, let's start. What are you thankful for? Even if you're in mixed company and go around the room, it will change the dynamic of that room. It does it every single time. And we've been doing it for, now probably two years with our group now. And it, it just, and we've had a wonderful group for, for those two years. So I don't know uh, if there's a connection, but it works that, that is, way. That's so cool. I love to hear that. I'm a big fan of gratitude and, and that kind of practice. I'm also a big fan of Tony Robbins. I've been through his workshop and he talks about this and the power of gratitude and how you really cannot be angry and grateful at the same time. So if you, you focus do on it. gratitude, it's impossible to still be angry or frustrated about whatever <laughs> it is that's going on. It just kind of, crushes all that gratitude like oversees all and, and it really is bad when you especially if it's somebody you want to be mad at mm -hmm. you know, if you guys say like if you were really really a jerk andy and, and i had to sit down and i had to figure out why <laughs> I, I i was happy to be with you today and they're like you know what i kind of like andy mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, he's not as bad as you know maybe maybe i was playing a little bit of the victim you know or maybe whatever but it's right. just uh it's worth investing in it and again it, there's no budget consequence to it can you talk about, you know, we were talking about authenticity and being more human. I know you also follow uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and I'm mm -hmm. a big fan of his and also Claude Silver, his uh, chief uh, heart officer. Love who, her. I, yeah, who love I've had. Her. Her. I love her too. And I, I had the pleasure of interviewing her in person for this podcast. And it just was such a fantastic interview. And they both talk a lot about creating a culture of empathy. Mm -hmm. And I think everything you're talking about lends very well to that. And I think that as we go, you know, we're in 2020 and beyond, empathy and EQ becomes more and more important. 
So is that something you think about? How do you create that culture of empathy in your organization? Absolutely. And that's, you know, it come, it's natural for me because uh, if you look at strength finders, it's, it's at the top. It's in one of my top five. Mm. Uh, it's just prevalent. That's the way I'm wired, but like anything else, overuse, you have to be careful of as well, but maybe not so much in the empathy world. I think it's, yeah. I, I like that empathy piece. Could you understand you put yourself in a, somebody else's shoes immediately? And doesn't mean you're not going to make difficult decisions. You know, this is the this is where you get pushback from the hardened, you know, leader of, of yesteryear of, you know, well, I got to make decisions. And how am I going to do that if I'm close to the staff or whatever like that? And it's not being close to the staff. It, it's treating them like humans and understand that they're going through a change or we're going to put them through a change. It doesn't mean as a leader, you don't make difficult decisions. Because in, in business, in the business world, you have to make difficult decisions, but you are going to think through of how is this going to impact my people when we do that? And what's the best way to be honest with them, to walk them through it? And so you do that by, it goes back to just creating that emotional bank account. If you invest in that, that bank account and you're, and you're depositing and depositing, depositing, if you have to make a withdrawal once in a while, it's, it's less painful as the leader. They'll understand because they know you're not coming from a bad place. Right. Or even if you have to, you have to implement something that's not yours that you have to do, but you have to do it anyway. One of those things, they're going to go, I got it. I got it. You've built that rapport, that trust, that empathy. They trust you, right? That's the important thing. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting organizations with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. And we're also proud to be providing tons of great content and inspiration to you and everyone out there during troubled times. You can go to advantageperformance.com to find any of our weekly webinars, insights, white papers, and blogs we've been putting out to help you survive and thrive during challenging times. That website, again, is advantageperformance.com. And now back to the show. Greg, what's been uh, the proudest moment of your career? What are you most proud of your biggest achievement so far? You know, uh, professionally, I, I think it's it's not anything from a tactical perspective. It's really building community within the, which we call our tribe, within our tribe. Mm-hmm. I think being able to bring a group of people together to compete's the wrong word, but to compete at a high level and to do really wonderful things at a high level at the same time, they're create a special bond with people. To me, I think that's my proudest moment. It's really seeing people grow and develop and push through things that they never thought they could do because you allowed them to do it and you allowed them to stub their toe and you, you allowed them to have a hiccup here and there and wasn't a raving lunatic because it happened yep. and they learned from it. And now they're better uh, because of it. I think that's my, you know, the group of people I have right now have just been super talented and, um, wonderful to work for. So they're probably my, uh, my biggest achievement. That's cool. And you said professional, what's, what's your proudest personal accomplishment? Personal, uh, you know, I think I, I, you get a default to family. I mean, I've got a 13 uh, year old daughter who's going on 
uh, 40 and uh, I've got a 16 <laughs> year old son who is fully 16. You know, it's amazing how that the, the daughter yeah. is way mature than my son and my son is yeah. like stuck in 16, but yeah. them and my yeah. wife and family is just, uh, I think that's the biggest uh, accomplishment there. When you can see your kids grow up and you're, they're growing up and being the kind of people that will re- represent your family well yeah. uh, for years to come is um, is powerful. And watching them grow and watching them have difficulties, whether it's in middle school or high school, mm-hmm. and how they navigate that is really special. It's really special. I love that. I feel the same way. Uh, it, it is amazing. What's been your biggest failure professionally and, and what did you learn from it? Well, Excel, I, I don't do Excel very well. So, so I really, I really am awful at Excel. In fact, it's a big joke around here is that yeah. Yeah, you need an Excel guy, go call Greg, he'll help you. So, uh, yeah. you know, when you think about failures, I, I, I look at it as it wasn't necessarily in the, the talent development space. Yeah. I'm a biggest failure when I own a restaurant and we went belly up. Uh, it was in the time right around 9-11 and cash flow was king and managing through that closing a business and going bankrupt stuck with me for a long time. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, when, when people will say uh, no regrets and you know, you see this stuff on social media and there's no, no regrets, nothing. Everything happened for anything. a reason. It's all good. No, everything's great. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. That's a bunch of BS. You know, it's just like when you have to go and you have to go bankrupt and you have to go look at, and when I closed my place, I had 30 mouths and their families that I was feeding mm. And uh, actually, it was 45 people that I was, you know, literally feeding, putting food on their table. And I had to stop that. And being an empathetic leader, that killed me. It haunted me for way too long. So it taught me a little bit more of of how to, you know, be resilient when I wasn't resilient. Mm -hmm. So you learn how to be resilient, you know, so you don't move forward quick enough. And you and when you have financial issues, everything gets highlighted. You know, so people that are yeah. standing in front of the Maserati and say uh, life is grand, life is great, and they don't have a couch in their house because they're house poor. It's not the life; it, the real, it's real. And so, it took me quite a bit of to get over that, probably more so than everybody else involved in the thing, and probably way too long. So, learning how not to hang on to that that loss and having a short term memory, which I didn't apply for my football. In football, when I officiated, I had the best short term memory. Yeah, you because have. you have to. If, if there was a bad situation that happened in the game, there's an next play right there and you can screw it up even more. So yeah. you have to like forget about it and then move on. And I, and that stuck with me for a long time. And, and still to this day, it, it has that gremlin. Are you good enough? You know, are mm. you going to, you're going to fail again? You know, one of those things. And so it, it haunts you. So yeah, I bet one of my biggest bet. learnings. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing. And you know, that's, it is part of all part of the journey, but it's not something that you want to go through. Right. And yeah, but you, have that, <laughs> but you have that experience that you can draw on that you can use and, and teach others with. Is there a trend that you're following in HR or talent development that maybe we haven't talked about yet? You know, I think the trend is it's always that, that new shiny toy, less of a trend, but more of uh, what are some of the technologies that you can use? I, I'm really interested in the AI piece at the same time, how does that intersect with everything we're talking about from the people perspective? Now, from a talent development, you know, I've looked, I look at tools and things that are AI pushed and it just, it's still not at that realism place for me yet. It just doesn't feel real in the things I've seen. And I haven't seen a ton of stuff, but eventually it's going to get there. So I think how you can help people learn in their own space at the same time, 
capturing that human connection that we, I think, is so important, uh, is that trend where where we'll see in the next couple of years. I think uh, really kind of develop. Um, so I think I think that part I I, I want to follow out a little bit, and yeah. then also it, from an HR perspective, and and maybe higher ed is a little bit slower on that piece of it. But how do you how does the working you know, with all these kind of individual contributor type of roles that are out there, how do you begin to assimilate that into into large organizations where you don't necessarily have to have that whole, you know, staff to full-time staff and where you can pull in pieces and, uh, you know, with all these these independent contractors that you can pull in and do different things with. So Yeah, basically what we're moving towards with like the so-called gig economy. Gig economy. Right. No, oh, so it's interesting. We could do a whole another interview on that. I'm so oh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about that subject, but yeah. we do have to start to wrap things up here. Okay. What is a book that has made a big impact in you, or that you often recommend? I, you could probably see over my shoulder. I have a ton of books, so I can't. It's very hard to pick just one. I, I think if well. there's one piece, yeah, we're right you're right there. Yeah, yeah our, our wives just love us on Amazon. It's just <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. That bill comes in. It's so easy too. It's one click. Oh, and it's, I know, and it comes. Yep. If I want it or not, but uh, I think the, if there was one thing, I, I would think maybe more to a TED talk, and that's the Simon Sinek TED talk. Oh, that yeah. went back, you know, and finding the purpose. It, it has been a, it's a, it was a game changer for me to go through that process, uh, not only to to listen to that, and then I went through, bought his training online, and um, I went through the whole eight hour deal and coaching to really find my why. And once you align your why. It makes decisions so easy to make because you'll know exactly when you're making a decision that's not in alignment with who you are at your core. Uh, so that's probably been my most uh, powerful thing I've seen in the last couple of years. I love that. And that Simon Sinek uh, TED Talk. Start with why, I think. It's- yeah, it's the golden circle. Yep. Uh, has 47 million views at this point. So I, think I was one of those. I was one of those. Yeah, I've, I'm a few of those. I think, it's the <laughs> most, I think it's the second most watched TED Talk of all time and it, yeah. it really catapulted his career. Mm-hmm. And now he's one of the most sought after keynote speakers in the leadership space, which is absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. So uh, great reference. Um, it's done a lot for me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, last question for you, Greg, for anyone listening who is in talent development or HR looking for a way to accelerate their career, what's one more piece of advice you would give them? Well, there's two things. I think the first piece is, is never get too far away from your stakeholders. When you're developing talent, you have to have your ear to the ground. And it doesn't mean what your boss is telling you what to do. It means what are the people on the front lines? What do they need? What are they struggling with? And then help them find solutions to, to figure out that piece of it. Too many times we get in a bubble and we're going off. We go off on the side. I've been guilty of it. You go off and you develop something. You don't involve the right people that it's going to impact. So number one, do that. The second piece of it is, is really around when you get to 50, this is what happens. You, you have these wonderful moments and it, and it, <laughs> it, it, it escapes. And I tell you, my point was going to be so spot on. Oh, amazing. So it was, uh, so it's really about building your personal brand. Mm. You're thinking like, what does talent development have to do with building your personal brand? It has everything to do with it. Let people know what you're about, why you're about it, and how you can help them achieve what they're trying to achieve. And when you do that, people will look at you differently within the organization you're you're working for. Or if you're in private practice with yourself and trying to do your consulting thing, that brand is everything. The tricky part is to bring in that authenticity piece that we talked about earlier and making sure that your brand matches what your everyday is. And yeah. when it does, watch out. 
100%. I agree with you. I've done a couple talks recently on preparing for your next career change and building that personal brand is a big part of it. I had Barry Henderson on recently. We were talking about that. She's a master. Uh, I plan on doing more talks and talking about that in 2020. She's even writing, yeah. yeah, even writing a book that includes that in it because I think it's so important yeah. in the corporate space. Speaking of that, you've developed quite a personal brand on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. My last question is usually, you know, where can people go to connect with you to find you? And I assume LinkedIn is the place. Yeah, I hang out there uh, quite a bit. <laughs> so you can reach out to me, uh, Greg Brenner and uh, the HR dad and feel free to connect with me there. I'd love to, uh, you know, continue that building that community there. So yeah, make sure you connect with Greg and follow Greg. He posts a lot of great content. I mentioned his authenticity. I was just looking back at some of your posts today and you you posted a video of you on the beach talking about, you know, missing your mom who passed away. I mean, just fully authentic and vulnerable. And I think it's why I love people. People love following you. And of course, I post every day on LinkedIn as well. So if you're listening and you're not connected with me, make sure we connect. Greg, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking some time to come on the Talent Development Think Tank today to, or Talent Development Hot Seat to uh, share your experience and wisdom. So thanks again for coming on. No, thank you, Andy. Keep up the great work. I, I love following you. And uh, I look for getting to know you even more over the next couple of years as we develop together. Heck yeah. All right. Take care. All right. Take care. Thanks a lot. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. And we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.